Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. One of the most popular hashtags on social media right now is this one. It's best life, best life. And it has more than 2.3 million posts on Instagram that use this hashtag. So chances are, if you're active on social media, you've seen it before or maybe even used it before. Now, for those of us in this room who may not know what a hashtag is, it's basically a word or phrase preceded by this, this hash symbol or or for those of us born before 1985, this pound sign, right? And, and this is used to categorize posts on social media. And the, the best life hashtag is often used in conjunctions with, with posts about living your life to the fullest. So what does that look like? What does it look like to live your life to the fullest, to live your best life? Well, let's take a quick journey through Instagram, shall we? We're going to see what people post about living their best life. So apparently, living your best life, according to Instagram, includes having cute pets, wear funny outfits. Actually, it includes having lots and lots of cute pets. It includes celebrating your wedding day. It includes going to beautiful places, visiting beautiful places, and, of course, taking your pets to beautiful places. (laughs) It includes exercising, working out, includes hanging out with your friends, and, of course, working out with your friends. It includes going on adventures and and eating delicious food and and drinking drinking whatever this is. And of course, it always includes lots and lots of selfies. So let me ask you, what does your best life look like? Like, what would you put into that blank frame, that blank Instagram frame? What picture would you put there? For some of us, it may include doing well in school, passing our classes, getting accepted to the program we want to get accepted to, getting the job that we wish for, raising healthy and happy kids, or finally having the financial freedom to do with our life what we want. Or for others of us, it may may include looking beyond ourselves, beyond our current circumstances, and, and trying to contribute to the good in larger society. I don't know. I don't know what living your best life looks like for you, but I do know this. All of us, all of us at some point struggle with living it. All of us at some point struggle with living our best life. See, the challenge that we face is that even though we may have a vision of what our best life is, we don't always have the ability to attain it. 
Have you ever felt that before? That you didn't have the time or the treasure or the talent. That you didn't have the power or the property. You didn't have the influence or the instruction to to live your best life. See, that is the reality of the human condition. We're not the masters of our lives. Can we just marinate on that statement for a moment? We are not the masters of our own lives. I know sometimes we like to think that we are, but every once in a while, life will come along and slap us in the face with a reminder that we do not control our circumstances. We don't control our destinies. We can make all the right choices and still have our lives turn out wrong. See, this is the challenge of weakness, the challenge of our limited humanness. See, it's wanting to to live a good life, wanting to live the best life, but not being able to. And so today I'd like to journey with you through a passage, a passage where Jesus addresses this weakness, the challenge of weakness. It's found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up or turn them on, flip them over. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And where Jesus, in his message to the church in Philadelphia, addresses the challenge of weakness. Now, before we dive in, I have to warn you that how Jesus addresses this challenge may not be exactly the way that we expect. And he may not exactly take us where we want to go. But this is the only way to guarantee that we live our best life. Verse 7 reads, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. Philadelphia was was a city in constant flux. It was built on this high volcanic plateau, and so that gave it strategic advantage over invaders, and it had rich, fertile soil for growing agriculture. But living in such a dynamic environment also came with a huge disadvantage, sort of like we experienced here in California. The same fault line that created that volcano also assaulted the area with frequent earthquakes. And so that city had to be constantly rebuilt. And with each new rebuild came a new name and a new identity. So this was a city that looked strong on the outside, but was weak on the inside. But according to Jesus, the church in Philadelphia was the opposite. It looked weak on the outside, but it was strong on the inside. See, the citizens of Philadelphia were hostile to Christians. Because the Christians didn't want to engage in emperor worship, they they faced economic and social sanctions. They they were ostracized by their neighbors. They found it difficult to make a living, to, to find a job. They were outcasts, outsiders, out of normal society. And so consequently, this church was small, and according to Jesus, they had little strength. This was a church that lacked power over its circumstances. This is a church that lacked resources to do something powerful. This is a church that lacked influence over its community. From the outside, it looked weak. But what we're going to find out is that on the inside, it was strong. It had exactly what it needed to live its best life. And so do we. Jesus continues. These things says he who is holy, he who is true. Jesus begins by reminding this church 
exactly, exactly who he is. He is the Holy One. He is the God incarnate. He is mightier than you realize. And he is the one who has the key of David. He opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, for those of you who are not as familiar with the Old Testament, you may not connect exactly what Jesus is saying here. So let me break it down for you. Jesus is making a direct allusion to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. See, about 700 years before the book of Revelation was written, the prophet Isaiah made a statement or proclamation about a man named Eliakim. Eliakim was to become the chief steward or the chief money man of the kingdom. And in a description of how powerful Eliakim would become, Isaiah writes this. He writes, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. So I'm going to give him the keys to the kingdom. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. In other words, as the chief steward, he would have the keys to the wealth of the kingdom. And he could do whatever he wanted with it because he spoke for the king. He had that much power. So what he opened, no one could shut. And what he shut, no one could open. And Jesus, by, by alluding to this passage, is basically saying, I am that man. I hold the keys to the kingdom. And this ain't no third-rate human kingdom either. This is the kingdom of God. This is a kingdom that spans galaxies and encompasses the entire universe. And I hold the keys. So you don't think you have power. You don't think you have privilege. You don't think you have possessions. You you, you think that you're weak and ineffectual. But what I want you to know is that I hold the keys. And I've opened the door. Jesus continues in verse 8. I know your works. See, I have placed before you an open door. The door is open to you. I have cast wide the storehouses of heaven, and I am ready to pour out a blessing so large that you will not have a capacity to hold it. Your cup will run over. Your plate will overflow because I am mightier and my resources are vaster than you can ever imagine. And, and according to Jesus, No one can shut it. See, I know. I know there are people in your life that seem to be trying to shut the door to you. I know that the local synagogue has rejected you. I know that the local citizens disrespect you. I know that you feel poor and powerless. But what I want you to know is that I have opened the door, and what I have opened, no one can shut. And then Jesus goes into why they are able to experience his open door. Two reasons why they're able to experience the power of God's open door. And for us, these become two steps that we can take to also experience God's open door and live our best lives. And what we're going to see is that these are steps that anybody can take. Anybody can take. The first step, it's found in verse 8, says, For... You have little strength. In other words, you're weak. You're powerless. You don't have much ability. Isn't that interesting? 
The very re first reason why they are able to experience God's open door is because they don't have strength, because they are weak. The Bible says, I have opened the door for or because you have little strength. In other words, their weakness is their strength. Their weakness is their strength. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but weakness can be a strength. I mean, just think about all of the people that God called to do amazing things for him. What binds them together is not their collective strength. They weren't always the smartest or the strongest or the most successful. Actually, what binds them together is their collective weakness. I mean, God called Moses, who had a speech impediment, to be his spokesperson. God called Gideon, who had a courage impediment, to be his warrior. God called David, who had a size impediment, to be his giant slayer. See, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And that's why our weakness can be our strength. Because what God needs most from us is not our treasure. It's not our talent. It's not our training. What he needs most from us is our trust. And that's how our weakness can be our strength. Our weakness can be our strength if we allow our weakness to drive us to depend on God's strength. So if you're saying, God, I'm weak. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how to live my best life. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with living my current life. I'm struggling with being a good student. I'm struggling with being a good parent. I'm struggling with being a good follower of Christ. If that's the space you're in, then God is saying, perfect. Now allow that weakness to drive you to depend on my strength. Because that's the first step towards experiencing God's open door, towards living your best life. It is to trust God. And that's exactly what the Philadelphian Christians did. They trusted God. They allowed their weakness to drive them to depend on God more. And then, verse 8 continues, and then they did this. They kept my word and have not denied my name. In other words, they were faithful to what God said and who God was. See, God calls us. God doesn't call us to be famous. He calls us to be faithful. He doesn't call us to be outstanding. He calls us to be obedient. See, see, what God needs most from us is for us to follow him despite what circumstances we're facing. See, that's the second step towards experiencing God's open door, is to obey. The Philadelphian Christians were able to experience God's power because they trusted and they obeyed. It reminds me of that old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be talented in order to live your best life. What you need most is to trust and obey. Be faithful and follow the leading of the one 
who opens the door. And that's where things get really difficult. Because often where God leads us is not exactly where we want to go. God doesn't always lead us to that Instagram perfect picture of our lives. God doesn't always fulfill all of our dreams. And honestly, sometimes that path towards God's destination includes pain and suffering. So when I say trust and obey, I know that that's not easy. It's an incredibly difficult ask to trust and obey when your dreams are falling apart. When it feels like your circumstances are overwhelming you. When it feels like the challenge in front of you is too big for you to overcome. And yet it is in the midst of that pain and anxiety and discouragement that trusting and obeying becomes our only hope. Because only God is big enough to handle the challenges that we face. See, that's why living your best life has less to do with the size of your treasure or your talent or your training and more to do with the size of your trust. See, the best way that I've heard to to picture this, to really illustrate this, is to imagine a pizza box. Now, how many of you here like pizza? Well, that's way more people than I was expecting from the Blue Zone. <laughs> Imagine for a moment that you ordered a pizza and, a, and you ordered like, let's say, a whole wheat, vegetarian, vegan cheese pizza, okay? And <clears throat> it arrives at your door. The pizza man arrives on your door 30 minutes later, and he's got your pizza, but he doesn't have a box. He's just holding it in his hand. And the cheese is like dripping down his arm and onto the ground. And the worst part is, the worst part is, you don't know where his hands have been. Like, you don't know what he was doing right before he put his hand on your pizza. So what would you say? What would you say if that guy arrived at your door with his bare hand on your fresh pizza? What is the first question that you would ask him? Where's the box, right? Where's the box? Because I was expecting the pizza to arrive in a box. Now, box isn't all that expensive. It's only worth like 39 cents. But that box becomes extremely important because of what is placed inside of it. Stay with me now. It is not the box that gives value to the pizza. It is the pizza that gives value to the box. And all of us, we're just boxes. But when Christ is placed within us, we have tremendous value. It is not we who give value to Christ, but Christ who gives value to us. So there is no reason to look around and compare ourselves with other boxes to get discouraged because someone has a fancier box than we do. Someone's box is made of better materials than we are. Because nobody picks a pizza based on the box. I mean, when's the last time you showed up at a pizza parlor and asked to see the boxes? (laughs) See, the role of the box is simple. It is to carry the pizza wherever the pizza delivery guy wants it to go. The role of the box is to trust and obey. 
And when it trusts and obeys, it fulfills its purpose and it lives its best life. So we don't have to be talented. We don't have to be well-trained. We don't have to be full of treasure. I mean, those things are great. And maybe part of God's journey is to lead you through those things. But we don't have to do any of those things. The only thing we have to do is to trust and obey. And if we trust and obey, God will give us a will and he will give us a way. He will lead us through our best life. So God's challenge for us this morning is really simple. Be the box. Be the box that God can use. Trust and obey. And for some of us, being the box may mean that we step into that decision that we've been delaying. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Could be a new ministry. Could be a new job. Could be a new life with Jesus. And we've been hesitating. We've been delaying because we're not sure that we have what it takes. If that's you, then be the box. Step into it. For others of us, being the box may mean that we wait a little bit longer. I mean, we've already been waiting a really long time. We've been waiting for God to provide that good thing that we've been asking for. I mean, we've prepared for it. We want it. But for some reason, God, God's not giving to it to us yet. If that's you, then be the box. Wait a little longer. For others of us, being the box may mean that we hold on. We hold on with all of our might. We hold on to the hope that, that this situation, this storm, this, this situation that we're in that is full of discouragement and hurt and pain will not last because God is carrying us through it. Even when we can't sense his presence, God, we hold on to the truth, to the belief that God is with us. So if that's you, then be the box. Hold on. None of this is going to be easy. It's all going to be overwhelming and difficult. We're going to feel too weak for the challenge ahead of us. But when that happens, I encourage you to let your weakness drive you towards his strength. I firmly believe that the reason why we experience so few miracles in our lives is because we don't make space for God to move. You know, we usually only take on what we think we can handle. We only bite off enough for us to chew. And when we do that, there is no space for God to step in and to step up. You want to see God move? Then get in over your head. Get overwhelmed and watch to see what God can do. Because Jesus has a promise for us. He says, if you are willing to do this, if you're willing to be the box, if you're willing to trust and obey and, and follow me, even when things get a little overwhelming, then this is the promise he gives us. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, 
and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. I'm going to give him an identity which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. In other words, I will make you a permanent fixture in my temple. He shall go out no more. You will be a monument that lasts forever. Imagine being a Philadelphian Christian and hearing this. You live in a city that has been rebuilt so many times, rebuilt and renamed so many times that it lacks an identity. You live in a city that is literally built on shaking ground. And God comes up to you and says, I'm going to give you an identity that lasts. I'm going to give you a stability that stands the test of time. I'm going to help you make a difference that, that lasts forever. See, very few things that we do really last. I mean, think about all the things that we put our energy and time and effort into. We spend hours cleaning our homes, but does that last? Not if you have little kids, it doesn't last. Students, we spend days studying for exams, but does that knowledge last? Maybe some of it. We spend weeks and months dieting and exercising so we can look good for our wedding day, but does that last? <laughs> Newlyweds, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, that doesn't last. Most of what we put our time and energy into doesn't last. But what Jesus says to us is, if you will do this, if you will follow me through this, then I will give you a life that lasts. So be the box. Trust and obey. Let your weakness drive you towards my strength. And let me show you what living your best life really can be.